okay, this is going to be a little weird. Because <laughs> it got a little weird. Because it got, I got so far off topic in a podcast we were doing about ammunition that, well, you're going to hear a lot of that podcast because I'm going to actually cut that podcast in, in progress, at the point where I really went off the rails. And I'll let you listen to that. We're building a new set of rails for it. Yeah, we're, we're building doing. a new set of rails. It was a because perfectly we good so, yeah, it was information, perf- but it had, not where we started at all. <laughs> no, it had nothing to do with where we started. So what you're gonna, what we're going to talk about in this podcast, which I know what we're going to talk about because I recorded 95% of it already, is we're going to talk about military arms, surplus arms. Are they a good choice, a reasonable choice? And let's talk about, for a modern-day prepper, and let's talk about, you know, what they are, what they are designed to do, to do what they are not designed to do. And their strengths and weaknesses. And their strengths and weaknesses, and how they compare with other options. Although I'm not going to go very much into the other options. But say, for example, take one particular, <coughs> excuse me, one particular gun, <coughs> sorry, one particular gun that's near and dear to my heart, the Russian Mosin rifle, commonly called Mosin Nagant, but kind of in error called Mosin Nagant. So the Mosin rifle, we're going to look at that as an example of, is this a gun that a late 2010s prepper should be including in his preps? Ten years ago, you would have gotten a different answer from me because the situation... While we were was, buying up all these. <laughs> yeah. But the situation has changed, and we have to we have to recognize the change. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about surplus ammunition. We're going to talk about surplus guns, give a few examples of some of the guns that are out there. Talk about the strengths and weaknesses and why surplus guns are available and what's going on with them. And there's the, the surplus market is not nearly what it used to be. For various different reasons. The government doesn't like people buying firearms, for one thing. And uh, the U.S. government used to sell a lot of M1 Grands out of its own surplus market. And, of course, that's dried up because, basically, they've sold all of them. There's that. So the surplus market isn't what it used to be. But those of us who love old military guns, we have to sit back and look and take stock of where we are and uh, put realistic values on what we own, and uh, so we're going to talk about all that in this podcast. I hope you enjoy it. We're going to cut right into the the other podcast already in progress. <laughs> Here it goes on to your rails. Three hundred eight. It's military surplus. It is Bredan primed, which means it's very difficult for uh, people to reload. Which means I'm not keeping the brass. Okay, and that's good and bad. Because, you know, I like to have brass to reload. But on the other hand, uh, it means you have to make sure you get all the brass picked. <laughs> As opposed to just sh- shooting it, shoot it at the gun range. We, they, we sweep it up and toss it in the can. And it gets recycled. But um, long story short, this surplus is older. There'll probably be some misfires in it. Because that's just older. Accuracy is probably not going to be... It's probably not going to be the most accurate in the world. It's mil-spec ammo from 40 years ago, 50 years ago. I mean, it's... But on the other hand, if it's been kept dry, and this stuff has apparently been kept dry, it has good ratings. If it's been kept dry, it lasts pretty much indefinitely. I've got a lot, I've bought a lot, and I've got a lot of 
7.62 by 54R Mosin ammo. I've got a lot of that. I mean, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say a lot. <laughs> I have more than you do, and I don't know how much you have. And I've never had a single misfire on that stuff. And I'm just shooting, the stuff I've been shooting is corrosive, old, and it comes from came from Yugoslavia. The stuff I've been shooting. And boy, was it dirt cheap. That's why we have so much. But we did not get it at dirt cheap, to be clear. Dirt cheap is the name of a, of a uh, distributor, which I do not use. Oh. Yes, they're the, only the shop I knew of by that name sold alcohol and cigarettes, and I'm pretty sure that ammo would be a very bad mixture with that. Yeah, uh, Dirt Cheap, after Sandy Hook, Dirt Cheap, which is an online distributor, they did some things that I do not approve of. And it's not like I bought a lot of stuff there anyway, but I will never buy anything again from Dirt Cheap. Uh, they will not ever be a... We don't have sponsors, but even if we did, they would not be a sponsor of our show. Because I want nothing to do with them. They did some very, very not-to-my-liking practices right after that. And I think they lost a lot of customers over it, too. I'm not the only person. So, yeah, it's not... It has nothing to do with dirt cheap. The ammo itself, I like to buy surplus ammo for... Blazing away ammo. I like to buy it for several reasons. First of all, it was once military spec. Even though it was Malaysian, it's still NATO spec. And uh, because it was made by a NATO spec company. And I like that. I like military spec because it's made very reliable. And I like... The military spec ammo, it, it also is much better weather sealed. It's got the, the sealings around where the bullet goes into the casing, and the casing is, is sealed around the primer. And so it, it tends to be a lot more weather sealed. It lasts a long time. The Yugoslavian stuff I have is like 70 years old, and it shoots just fine. The 7.62, the military surplus market is very limited these days as far as the ammunition and the guns. The... Uh, there for a while, you we used to be able to get dirt cheap. <laughs> I'll use your expression. Yeah. Very cheap. Most in ammo. I was buying it for $150 a case shipped. And that's 880 rounds. So it was very, very, very inexpensive. And those were that would come in a, in a really cool wooden case. And inside of that, there'd be two spam cans. Of ammo, 440 rounds each. Now, stuff was corrosive, which means you have to clean out your gun good after you shoot it. But, I mean, you could shoot it for 20 cents a round, you know, blast away on it all day long. Very high-powered round, good high-quality round. I don't think I ever had a single misfire with the stuff. That's our call. And a lot of that stuff was coming in from Yugoslavia. And then it went away. And then a lot of the stuff was coming in from the Ukraine. And a lot, I mean, a lot of the ammunition was Ukrainian. It was a former Russian or Soviet military ammunition. And then the Ukraine kind of got in a war. <laughs> and so 
they stopped selling surplus ammunition, just boom, overnight, because the war started. And they kind of said, well, we better not get, be getting rid of ammunition. We'll, you know, we may need. Save it for your next civil war. That's what it's for. <laughs> Absolutely. That's Steal from a line from a song? Line from the song. What an excellent album. Uh, Sabotage, Dead Winter, Dead. Great album if you like rock and roll music. It's about the Yugoslavian Civil War. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a weird concept album. But it's really good. In fact, if you listen to the album, and I highly recommend you do, you will find you will listen to a song on that album, and it will you will fall over backwards in shock if you don't know <laughs> that that song was actually done yeah. for the album Dead Winter Dead by the rock band Sabotage. You will fall over backwards listening to it. You're going, no, because you've heard this song a thousand times and you had no idea that it was actually done. Or could possibly have come off an album called Dead Winter Dead about the Yugoslavian War. Shall we tell them what it is? Yeah, it's Christmas in Sarajevo is the title of the song. Christmas in Sarajevo. If you look at, this is a song that was put on the first Trans-Siberian Orchestra because newsflash, Trans-Siberian Orchestra, Sabotage, same people. It was put on the first Trans-Siberian Orchestra Christmas album, and you have heard it a thousand times. And you had no idea that it was actually done by the band Sabotage on the album Dead Winter. So if you like that song, you know, if you like that song, the rock and roll version of you know, Carol of the Bells and stuff like that, then you like Sabotage, whether you knew it or not. That's what they sound like. But every time I hear that Christmas song, I'm thinking of that really sad and tragic Civil War. Oh, it was. It was a sad and tragic Civil War, and it was a sad... They all are. Yeah. And it was a sad and tragic um, album. And this certainly isn't a digression, because that's that's where military surplus comes from. It is not used. It's available for, for... you know, wars that were never fought, which is good. I use it to plank. I do not use military surplus as my self-defense ammo. Absolutely not. For one thing, it's full metal jacket. And it's full metal jacket because the NATO, or not the NATO, I'm sorry, the uh, um, Geneva Convention Geneva Convention requires signatories to only use Full metal jacket ammunition. You can't use fragmenting ammunition. Yeah, you can kill them, but you have to kill them with clean ammo. That's or something. Yeah. So non-signature, but pretty much all militaries use full metal jacket or solid core. And frankly, for what I use it for, other than plinking, if I were going to use it in a prepping situation, I'm going to be using it for either self-defense. Or for hunting. Yeah, the 308 is really intended to be a big game gun, a bore gun. Yeah, 308's a big gun, and it'll punch a hole through it, but it's illegal to shoot big game in the state I live in with a solid jack- with a full metal jacket or solid core round. They don't want you to just send the bullet right through it. Right, they want you to kill the animal, not just wound the animal. That's the thing about the two two. The two two three round. That's one of the things that made it such a controversial round. The three oh eight round is designed to kill people. The two twenty three round is designed to wound people. That was their biggest. 
the biggest want of that round. It's why it's used so much. It's designed to wound people. Because if you wound a person, you take more than that person out of the fight. Because somebody's got to care for the wounded. Yeah, I know. It's kind of a twisted way of looking at it. But that is one of the reasons that they switch over to D23. That and it's much, much lighter, much easier to carry. And if you make it a principle not to care for your wounded, then it makes the remaining soldiers very cranky. Rightfully so. And additionally, I mean, the the 308 round has a huge recoil compared to the 223. And Spice had never really been around the 308 because it's something we don't really we haven't stocked before. And we're not going to buy deep because I've just got the one gun. And yeah, 600 rounds does not count as a deep buy in my book. <laughs> the... Um, I gave her the gun because we have a rule. When, when a gun comes in the house, unless it's the same gun as we already own. For example, if I bought an exact duplicate Glock 17 or 19 as a spare gun. Pretty sure I know how to work those. Yeah, she knows how to work those. So when we get a new gun that comes in the house, we have the first thing we do is we have a um, safety talk. So that everybody, both of us know exactly how to operate the gun. Both of us know how to load it. We know how to unload it. We know how to check to make sure that it is not loaded. All that stuff. So, just letting you know, when she picked up this 308, it was just like, uh-uh. Nah. Because she had, her previous self-defense carbines were M4s, 223 M4s. AR-15s, and that's fine. You know, that's that's not a problem. But she picks up this 308, and it's it's the same configuration as the one the, I never liked very well. Well, yes, but it's true. <laughs> you didn't go nah the second you picked it up either. She picked up the 308 and because of the weight and the size of the gun. It was just immediately nah. All I would have for, to shoot it stabilized to all have accuracy. For you. And she does not like to shoot stabilized. She does not like to shoot off a bench rest. She doesn't like to shoot off a oh, bike. I, I, I like shooting that way, but I don't like to have to depend on shooting that way. I don't trust that there's going to be a rest there when I actually need to shoot something. You actually never train from a rest. That's why I don't. <laughs> He's right, but that's why I don't. Okay, I'm going to take a quick break. You won't notice it, and we'll be right back. Sorry about that uh, little uh, interruption that you didn't even notice. We had to stop and get some gas for the car. So the gas station came up on me faster than I thought it was going to. So, yes. Anywho, back to military surplus ammo. And we're going to talk a little bit more about other non-surplus ammo, because the surplus ammo is getting hard to find. Well, Midway USA has some 308 for a very, very reasonable price, so I went and picked up a couple of ammo boxes full. Now, a lot of preppers use ammo boxes for all kinds of stuff. In fact, we have a really good article by Paranoid Prepper on our website about what you can do with some of the uses for used ammo cans. We usually we use a lot of used ammo cans. We generally put, like... Uh, ammo in them <laughs> but it's really cool when you open up a fresh can of ammo i mean you get the actual can of ammo that's designed for like this is for uh 30 caliber ball these ammo cans are designed for 30 caliber ball so when you open them up it, it looks like they're packed perfectly there's cardboard down each side and then you got the got the uh, boxes of 40 
rounds inside and they're all nice and sealed up, they'll last for, nah, maybe not forever that way, but they'll last for a very long, long time that way. Your nice deep breath of air from 1939? Well, but not much of let's it. be fair. These are 1939, but... Some of the most enamel probably is. Hmm? Some of the most enamel was. Well, yeah. Some of that, yeah. Some of that, yeah, that's what, that is really interesting. You, you get out the, 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 they come with a can opener, the most enamel does. Which well, technically not most ammo. It's seven point sixty by thirty by fifty four, which fits in a Mosin, but it's also can be used for like all the other guns that shoot that ammo, which like machine guns and a bunch of other stuff. But what you do is you get the get the spam can, and you get the spam can opener, which is a little uh, steel bar. It comes with the case, and you start opening up, and you go like that with the with the little opener thing. And he goes, and if you lean over, you can smell 1960s or 1970s commie air. It's communist <laughs> air. This little red vapor seeps out, and uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's. I mean, every time I open one of these cans, I always do it with a, a recording of the Soviet national anthem on. Because, <laughs> by the way, that's a kicking anthem. Absolutely kicking anthem. My digression for the. I liked how when the Soviet Union went away and the Russian Federation came forward, and then they had they had the Russian Federation had a different anthem, but it stunk. Nobody liked it. Everybody, lo- I mean, it's a kick. In- the Soviet anthem is a kicking tune. It really is. It's a catchy. It's got tune. some heart to it. It does. I mean, it makes me want to dance to it. Yeah, like, <laughs> which is great. And not this wimpy little that the, the, the anthem they picked up was. So, what they did was everybody in Russia agreed with me. So they rewrote the words, took all the Soviet nonsense out, and put in new modern Russian words. And brought the song back. So now, at the Olympics or wherever you hear it, they've got the the proper anthem for the for Russia actually being played. Because when the Russian hockey team is out there and they're getting their awards, not that that's happened much lately since the, <laughs> since the Canadians and Americans have been doing better, but the Russians are out there. They're getting their awards and they have the right song because we have to have nationalist nationalist propaganda going During in every sports. sport. Yeah, that's important and stuff. Yeah, okay. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, it's all, we're almost boarding into politics. we got to stay away from that. But anyway, yeah, I, I'm, I, I will say I'm opposed to Soviet politics. <laughs> ne- not surprisingly, neither Spice or I have ever been called comrade. <laughs> we're not communists. We'll go that far. We won't talk about our political views, but we will say that neither one of us have ever been a card-carrying communist. Pretty safe to say. And since I have cards of some type on my person most of the time, that you know that means yeah, I'm not a communist. True. But they did have a kicking song. And I like their ammunition, and I like the old Mosins, even though they're not really that good at guns. My gosh, did you see that gun at the store today? Yeah. We stopped at, we stopped at a, our, our favorite local gun shop along the way. 
and they have a consignment for just a, a 53 Izzy Mosin. Music comes from the Ishtrek Armory, not the Tula Armory, which is... Easier to pronounce. Easier to pronounce. This was a <laughs> non-hex, so it's a newer one, non-hex head post-war... I mean, sorry, I, 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 I'm, th- I'm thinking about it. It was a 38 Izzy, not a 53. It was a 38 Izzy. I was, there was a Polish one, too, but it was the 53. And, yeah, I can see Polish ones are more expensive because they're rarer. And This was a 38 pre-war Izzy. Decent-looking gun, but it was one of these um, Ukrainian armory refurb jobs. So there was nothing special about it. As far as I could see, the numbers match, but I didn't go all through the gun. Three, what was it, 379 Yep. $379 for a thirty-eight Izzy in decent shape. Ah, let me translate for you. Do not buy this gun. I am a Mosin fanatic. I love the guns. I, yeah. I, they're quirks and all. The quirkier, the better, right? But do not spend $379 on a Mosin. Period. Unless there, there, there's one exception, and I'll give you that exception. Fine unless plus? unless no. it's a <laughs> mint condition finish Mosin. I mean mint. Then go ahead and spend it. Because the later finish, you know, the finish ones were a whole different level of, of workmanship. They were much, much, much better guns. Much smoother, much better made. Uh, so the finished ones, yeah, maybe maybe spend that if it's a mint. But this was just a standard rack grade Mosin for three hundred and seventy nine dollars. The first motions I bought were sixty nine dollars. And we're getting back to the we're getting back to the topic. I had no idea. I knew that when I was I bought a bunch of, of Mosins to just put away. They're still in the, they are still actually in the Cosmoly. I never even. But I got a deal on. A bunch of them. All of them hex heads. All of them in good condition or better. None of them rearsenaled. Just repacked. And I paid $100 a piece for them. And it has not been that long ago. I got them for 100 each. And these are, like I said, hex heads. Four or five of them are Tula's which is the better of the two arsenals, or at least the more desired of the two arsenals. And they've not been re-arsenaled, which means they haven't gone back through and had all the... I hate to think what one of those things would sell for. $450, $500 now? I don't hate to think about that, since we own them. Yeah, but that's crazy. Yeah, they're not that great. They're not that great. They're not that great. Here's the thing about military surplus. Military surplus is fine when it's cheap. That's the fun part about military surplus. It's fine when it's cheap. When I bought this stuff for dirt cheap, so I can go... I keep using those. When I bought this stuff really cheap, I did not buy it from dirt cheap. I don't think they sell those. But when I bought the stuff, I bought it because I thought it was a good value. And even though there were, I don't know how many millions, 30 million Mosins made, there were not 30 million Mosins imported into this country. And when they cut off the imports from Russia 
and because of the Yugoslav, the uh, Ukrainian civil war and unrest, and then the Ukrainians stopped shipping stuff. The whole thing just dried up, and that was the last of the big military surpluses. In the eighties, we had the SKSs coming in military surplus, and you could get, um, you could get all kinds of different. Chinese, Korean, uh, Indian, Pakistani military surplus ammunition. Now, almost all of it was corrosive, so you had to clean the clean the guns up good. But you could get a case of seven point six two by thirty nine and an SKS for a hundred bucks. The gun and the case of ammunition back in the eighty eight eighty nine was a great deal then. Now, not so much. Military guns are designed for military uses. Okay? That sounds ridiculous. Old military guns were designed for old military uses. <laughs> and the truth is that most of the guns that fight a war were designed to fight the previous war, not the war they're fighting. There are exceptions. But the take World War II, for example. The Arasaka, Japanese rifle, bolt action, big, long, huge, long gun. All right? The British, the 303s, great gun, but... A lot of those guys went to war with the big, long, huge 303s, not the carbines, which came around later in the war, more and more. The Russians, even though they redid the original Mosin in 1930 and basically cut off a few inches or, mil or those whatever Russian counting system they used, I believe in 30 they were using, Soviets were using millimeters. So they cut off several millimeters, centimeters of the gun. Yeah. They cut them down and then from then on rebuilt them. They rechanged the sights over in 1930. They changed the sights over from that weird Russian measurement they used before that nobody knew what it was to meters. Okay. But still, they were big, long, heavy guns that were centered around their bayonets. And while a bayonet charge was a real thing in the 1800s, it was a real thing. In World War II, it was not so much. Because machine guns. They had a lot. The Russians had a lot. And I mean a lot. Leningrad, Stalingrad. I could go on and on and on about all these uh, city in-city fighting situations going on. And the Mosin's a horrible choice for that because it's big, it's long. They had the M39, which is the carbine version, but it didn't have a bayonet on it. It was a it was a, a prototype type thing that they were working on, and then they started building some of them because they needed something that was much better for uh, to use around tanks, to use in cities, things like that. But it... Um, it didn't have a bayonet, and the Russians are 
They're all about their bayonets. I mean, bayonets are a big deal to the Russians. It's part of their doctrine and training. So they stayed with the... In 44, they developed the M44, which, surprisingly, is named after And that gun was the Mosin shortened down to a carbine length with an integrated bayonet that could be flipped out. A much better design for, you know, the march into Berlin. And then they made millions of them. But that gun still was a semi, was a bolt-action gun. A World War I-era type gun. The, the, the Mosin, um, the actual basic heart of the gun was designed in 1890. So this is 60 years later. They're modifying that gun. And it's been through how many wars since then? Okay. So when you're buying military, militaries fight the last war. They very rarely fight the next war. And then they surplus out pretty much almost the one before that. Right. So what we're buying, the Russians replaced the Mosins, at least in part with the SKS. Now, they didn't go as big into the SKS as a lot of people did because they also had the Kalashnikov, the AK-47. So they went ahead and built out the AK-47 in their inventory, and they, like all good Russians before them, they took all their Mosins, and did they get rid of them? No, they put them into big, huge storage facilities out on the tundra. They boxed them up, they oiled them up, they re-arsenaled, and they put them away for when we needed to fight the next German invasion. So, guns were put away. Lots of them were put away all over the place. AK-47s switched over to the AK-74s. I mean, the AK-47 was a response to the fact that they needed that in World War II. The Germans came out with the first assault, true assault rifle in World War II, and it was devastating. The Russians had submachine guns that they used in city fighting, and they were very good. Cheaply made pieces of junk, but they did work. Whereas the uh, Americans were the only ones that had done something different. The Americans had developed a gun for the war they were fighting, and they had a huge advantage. The M1... Garand gave them a huge advantage because it had a, a clip of, I believe, six rounds, maybe eight rounds. I, I've never owned a Garand, so I don't know this off the top of my head. I'm sorry. I should. But you stick the clip in, I believe it's six rounds, and it just pops in with six rounds of 308, and you shoot bang, 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 bang. When the last round is fired, the clip is empty, it ejects the clip. You grab the next clip. And you put it in. And it's almost as fast, not quite, but almost as fast as, as a magazine. And the Americans used that pretty much throughout World War II. And it made a huge difference. We were able to have a much higher rate of fire than the enemy. Because they're still using 1898 Mausers. Now, what's happened is all these Mausers were emulated all over the world. So there was Turkish Mausers. There's Yugoslavian Mausers. And there's, you, you name it, everybody's made Mausers except for the USA, I think. Mausers, Mausers, everywhere. 
And these guns are on the surplus market now. This is what is on the surplus market. And at a point in time where they were really cheap, this is good. But now that they're more expensive, they're more for a collector. And when you can't buy cheap ammunition for them, I mean, a 7mm, 8mm Mauser ammunition is just not, because they made both, is just not cheaply available anymore. So she's looking at me like, what's your point? We got pretty far off the main topic of ammunition here because she wanted to talk about Millspec guns. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. We're going to, down the road, we're going to do another top podcast on ammunition. <laughs> and I'm going to go back and hit a starting place on this. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually just record a new intro because I got way entirely <laughs> off track. But this is good stuff, right? It's interesting to those who like military weapons. Um... Which is not you. <laughs> <laughs> And she's just shaking her head like, where are you going with this? Okay. So anyway, getting back to the topic we've had, which is, are military surplus weapons and, and <laughs> ammunition, is it a legitimate buy in today's market? Which is the new yeah, topic. Yeah, that topic. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, and here's why. As much as I love them, ammunition can be if you can find a good deal on it, or a decent deal on it. But the guns themselves, no. They're designed to do something that we're not doing. If you want, for some reason, to have a gun for self-defense, and you want that gun to be... A semi-automatic gun, buy a semi-automatic modern gun. Buy something that's easy to put an optic on. Buy something that's easy to, to get parts for. Buy something that's modern. I mean, frankly, I mean, you know, if you want to have a bunch of old military surplus stuff just to play with and have fun with, which I do, it's great. Back in the day when... It was dirt cheap. dirt cheap again. But back in the day when it was cheap, it made a lot of sense for preppers to have. And, but not anymore. But they did have their problems. Like some of the ones we got from jungle areas would all had nasty, cracked, bad stocks. Right, and we had. Because yeah, I the bought a. I bought environment a, had not been kind to them. I bought a bunch of uh, Type 53s, Chinese Type 53s, which is the a Mosin, but it is a uh, it's a basically the Chinese version of the M44 with the fold out uh, bayonets. The metal on them are fine. I had no problem with any of the metal on any of them, but the wood. The Chinese use a different kind of wood, and it's a, it's just the scars up kind. horribly. Hmm? The soft, splintery kind. Soft, splintery kind. But it does have one big advantage over the Russian-style wood. It doesn't rot. You can get it wet, and you can get it wet, and you can get it wet, and it does not rot in jungle temperatures. That's why they use it. 
They don't use it because they don't have other kinds of woods. They use it because for the environment they're using it in, it's the best choice. This is North America. It is not the best choice here. Especially since when it does dry out, it tends to splinter and crack. So we had a bunch of stocks to replace. Also, on the ones that were made during the war, you can judge about at what phase of the war a lot of the weapons were manufactured because they get less and less finished smooth as you go through. And that makes me suspicious that quality control was slipping, frankly. Yeah, like on a Mosin, though, it really doesn't matter that much as far as safety goes because those guns are just, they are so over-engineered on the safety. I mean, you could shoot a much higher pressure round out of that gun and it would not explode. Having said that, the bolts don't work as well. They stick more. They're not nearly as smooth. The fit and finish is just not nearly as good. I find that some of the cranky uh, late war Mosins, I have trouble working the bolts on. Yeah, you can actually almost have to have a hammer on some of them, which is kind of endearing if you are a maniac like me. And if you're a big, strong man full of adrenaline. But if you're a 120-pound woman at the range, it's not very endearing. If it's good enough for Zilly Seitzef, it's good enough for you. <laughs> Right? I have seen pictures of her. She yeah. was not a hundred and twenty pounds. No, that's woman. that's the that's the girl. Yes, you're talking about the girl. Vasily Saisev is the guy. Oh, Vasily. All right. You're talking about that girl I was showing you the other day. He cheats. He has testosterone. Yes. Although she, the Russians' female sniper corps. Wow, the kill numbers they put up is just phenomenal. Verified kills. So. Anyway, hope you enjoyed the podcast, and we'll talk to you next time.